If you would be taking your Bible and go ahead and be turning to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah there together, we will uh, going to work our way through several slides this afternoon in just a, a few short minutes. Uh, but as you've already probably noticed on the slides, if you have been looking at the song there, uh, the yellow background and all that comes from hopefully the material that I'm about to use and also the transition. Uh, this material is not mine originally, uh, but it's from the McDade family, and we support uh, Gary McDade and his family and the work that they do. I believe the first slide in just a moment should show their logo, which is called Ethical Media, and they have uh, shared with us um, a USB key that's got all of this material on it, and uh, it's one of those things that, again, I love to draw attention to what others are doing and have done, good resources, and so I uh, say that to say this is obviously, as it's running through everything, uh, got a lot of, of graphics and twists and turns and things. Hopefully that's encouraging, uh, but it, it may take you a minute to get used to looking at it, but that's, uh, that's what this is. Um, they have put this together. It's not necessarily for every book of the Old Testament, but certainly covers the Old Testament in some different ways. Uh, and so I've taken the Ezra presentation and the Nehemiah presentation and tried to put them together. And as I told several of you, it's a lot of slides, so that's all right. We've already worked through like four in less than about a minute. So uh, we'll try to get through it all and, and do so and give us a few moments for our guests to get here. But let's talk a little bit about these books. One thing I did have in my notes um, as I was thinking about using this was the, the reminder that you need to know that there's a really good, good high chance that these were originally one book. Uh, whether it's called sort of Ezra Nehemiah or whatever it might have been, they were probably one scroll, one book together. And of course, as you think about scrolls and you think about copying things, and as things went from scrolls to books, then it was eventually broken up into these two parts. Ezra, we're going to talk about Ezra first. Ezra was a prophet, uh, but the book that bears his name is listed among the 12 books of history. And of course, this is what we've talked about a little bit this morning. Ezra is uh, thought to have been the author of this book. He's commonly reported to have also written First and Second Chronicles and Nehemiah. Now, there will be some debate on that, um, but some people do think that Nehemiah may have written that himself. Uh, and there's various reasons. And again, for the sake of time, we won't break all that down exactly. Uh, but this is hopefully going to be some encouraging material. You saw in that second slide, they, ca they call it, the Big Dades do, the Bible visualized. So you'll see a lot of pictures, see a few maps, and I hope that may be an encouraging way to look at it. Uh, it says here for Ezra's book, certain parts are written in the first person and other parts are written on the third person. And so that's the kind of thing that can trip us up sometimes and cause us to not be sure maybe who wrote it. Did Ezra write it? And he says, I I, I, me, or when he says Ezra did this, if he's writing it, we think, well, that's weird. Why would he say Ezra when he could just say me or I? Um, but sometimes that causes us to have thoughts maybe about what exactly is going on. But as they include at the end here, fortunately, God guided the men who wrote and we have his account of what happened. So Ezra was a prophet and a priest. He was the grandson of Hilkiah the priest who 160 years earlier had directed Josiah's reforms. If you remember Josiah, Josiah was one of the good kings. He had become a king when he was eight years old, and he reigned for 31 years and did a lot of good things uh, when he reigned on the throne. And so you can see here in this chart, and this Bible visualized has a lot of this, which where you can kind of get a visual and say, all right, these are the kings of Judah. 
A lot of names that don't mean much to me, I've forgotten these names, but Josiah was the grandson here, or Ezra was the grandson of Hilkiah, who reigned around 639 uh, as Josiah did there. So let's talk about a little bit more background as we did this morning. So this is a little bit of a map. You can see, of course, uh, some of the water there around this Middle East, Egypt kind of area as we think about. And the people of the northern kingdom, we had this division, right? The people were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both of those people were carried away. The northern kingdom, the first set of people, were carried away into Assyrian captivity. Assyria was the people who had taken them over. You say, well, that's not what we talked about this morning. That's right, but we're going to get there in just a moment. When they were taken into Assyrian captivity, well, guess what? Like everything, world powers come and go. Babylon overtakes Assyria and Babylon, as we said, is going to be the one who takes the southern kingdom into, of Judah into captivity. Babylon is the one that takes Daniel and the one that takes um, the last set of people. We said there were three groups that went into Babylonian captivity. And then Ezra and Nehemiah are going to come at the end of that. At the end of 70 years, Babylon was uh, captured by Persia, right? It's that cartoon of there's always a bigger fish that eats the, you know, bigger one, bigger one, bigger one, or takes over. Persia takes over for Babylon, and the first Persian king that we read about was Cyrus. So hopefully these things begin to make sense. And if you can see this map, you see Egypt sort of to the left-hand side, Canaan in the middle. If you know your world history and world news, that's the land that's often talked about being um, you know, fought over and the people of Israel that people are talking about still today. And then the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, was there towards the top. As we said this morning, 150 years before Cyrus came onto the scene, Isaiah prophesied. And he didn't just prophesy. I, I used the example this morning. I could call Jerry and say, Jerry's going to do, uh, do great things 150 years from now. And I might be right. The president might be named Jerry. Somebody else might be named Jerry. I don't know. But that's not what's going on when God is prophesying. Cyrus is called by name. And remember, in Isaiah's day, the temple had not yet fallen. He's saying the temple's going to be rebuilt. And everybody's saying, you mad man, that's crazy. That doesn't really matter because it's already still standing here, although it would fall. The Jews began a journey, I told you this morning, it would be a long way. 700 miles across the desert from Babylon to Jerusalem. And not just people from the tribe of Judah, but other tribes as well. And so when you see the phrase, all Israel, you kind of have to understand maybe from the context and reading around it, who is being referred to. But there was 70 years of exile before they're allowed to return back home, which was the theme of our, our lesson this morning. Here's the three returns. The first uh, return was led by Zerubbabel. That's the, the list in Ezra chapter 2 that we looked at this morning. I told you your Bible may be offset. That is the first return with Zerubbabel. 50,000 people, including the servants. The second is led by Ezra. And the third is led by Nehemiah. And so you see then how these overlap. Ezra covers one and two. Nehemiah covers three in the books. Ezra, the book of Ezra covers one and two. And Nehemiah covers then the third. Zerubbabel was the grandson of King Jehoiakim. And he was heir to the throne of Judah and is listed in the genealogy of our Lord. Remember, we keep emphasizing, why do genealogies matter? We hate them. We get to them when we're reading and we stop reading. But it helps us to preserve 
the bloodline and the way that God had promised the Messiah would come. It's the same way of why they returned. Remember our second point this morning under the return uh, was, or home was the idea of the return to God. It seems as if the people said, God has made these promises. We're going to help be a part of that and fulfill that. And so they return home and the genealogy of the Lord, the bloodline, of course, is allowed to continue. When Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to their own land, he appointed Zerubbabel governor of the colony and gave back many of the things that Nebuchadnezzar had taken. Those golden items, those golden vessels that were in the temple had been taken to Babylon. Those go back along with the people of Israel. And after the third return, uh, there was still some people in the time of Malachi when, that were still staying in Babylon. They had made their home there. They did not want to go. It was going to be hard work. Um, but it's going to take a while before some of the, even this third group begins to return home. So I, we're not going to cover the whole book chapter by chapter, but I do want to hit some of the highlights that are here. In Ezra's chapter 1 and 6, that's where we see Zerubbabel first in chapters uh, 1 through 6. That's when the temple was rebuilt, and Zerubbabel takes part in that. Then we're going to see in the second period, uh, that Ezra is going to be uh, return as priest, and he's going to make some reforms in regards to the people. One word that you're going to hear me say, and you may be familiar with, is Torah, right? The original five books of the law that we talk about, the Torah. Ezra is going to try to restore the Torah. Zerubbabel, the temple. Nehemiah, the walls. Ezra, the people, or the community, or the Torah, obeying God and following his will. Now, here's one interesting thing that I think is going to show up next, hopefully. Yeah, is that Ezra gives an account of both periods, and Nehemiah only tells of the second. But you'll see the little name Esther there in the middle. Esther is believed to have fallen between the periods of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's kind of like when we talk about Job sometimes. Job actually belongs up near Genesis. If we could cut a hole in Genesis and fit Job in there, that's probably where Job fits in the history of time. Same thing with Esther. Esther's going to fall during this time between Ezra and Nehemiah, and there's several reasons why that is. It says Esther appeared on the scene about 40 years after the temple was rebuilt and about 30 years before the wall. 40 years after Zerubbabel, 30 years before Nehemiah, and she fits, and her story fits in there. Went a little fast there. All right, the foundation was laid. When the people returned, they built an altar to sacrifice. They kept the Feast of Tabernacles. They laid the foundation of the temple. They sing praises to God. Things are going well for a time, but of course they're human, and there's going to be some problems sometimes. People arise, troubles arise that hinder them from what they need to do. And so for a time, the work is stopped. Things are not going to happen. And that's when Haggai and Zechariah fall in. They are the prophets who encourage the people, get back to work, finish these things, finish what you started, and finish all these projects that have begun. And of course, Darius, uh, the king of Persia that came after Cyrus, was friendly to the Jews, and he made sure the temple was going to be finished. He even committed some money to be sure that those things were going to be done, and sure enough, they are completed, and they are finished. Zerubbabel's temple was very plain and simple. In fact, we're Again, I don't have every lesson sketched out totally, but as we get into Ezra, the people, the older people, cry. The older people are sad. Why are they sad? Because they look back at a time when the temple was the most beautiful thing in the world, and they say, this isn't that. We feel like the same way sometimes, don't we? 
We look back as we get older on things and we say, well, they weren't as good as they used to be. And there's kind of a bit of this with the idea that Zerubbabel's temple is a little more plain and some of the older people then don't quite appreciate that in the same way. So Ezra comes along and he doesn't actually appear until much later in the book. And he's going to appear in the reign of Artaxerxes. And notice that Artaxerxes is Queen Esther's stepson. So that's why she kind of falls in the middle because she's going to be a part of the bloodline of these kings and her stepson then Artaxerxes is going to be the one who's going to help Ezra with the rebuilding of or restoring Jerusalem with these things. So here is again the trek that the Jews made. If you can see the white line there, uh, Ezra had about with him not 50,000 but 1,700 and it took them four months to make the trip to Jerusalem. I tried to caution you, and if you don't believe me this morning, then you should have been with us in the trip this week when we were in the van four hours, right, with some kids. It was hard with four hours to travel sometimes with, with our children places. Four months, first 50,000 people with Zerubbabel, then 1,700 with Ezra, and they make this long trek back around to their homeland in order to continue in the building. And then Ezra, chapters 9 and 10, Ezra finds that things are not good. We can't, I told you, we, it's not a rah-rah, we're all going home, things are great. There's a bit of encouragement, they do some good, but then what do humans do? Well, humans fall back into their sinful ways, and the spiritual condition of the people is not good. And so Ezra then lists, in Ezra chapter 9, uh, some of the people who are coming and doing the abominations. The Jewish people are falling in with the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, and all of these people. They're allowing the people around them. People say, well, you need to be friends. You need to have friends in this world. Yeah, we need to make associations and try to help people. But when we associate like they do with the people around them, we begin to follow the same abominations that the people around us are following in. And that's exactly what we see in this place. And the other problem that we read about at the end of Ezra is intermarriage. And so verse number two here says, For they have taken their daughters for themselves and for their sons. They intermarried with the people around them, and then they become lax. Look, we love all people. We want everyone to be strong. But sometimes when people give in to sinful ways of the world around them, they don't pull people up, right? Preachers always give that example. You don't pull people up, they pull you down into what they have. And that's sadly what the case is when it comes to Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 3, he tears his clothes. I rend my garment and my mantle, plucked off the hair of my head. And of my beard. I don't know if any of you have ever been that angry that you actually pulled your hair out. But Ezra is. He's making the point about how frustrated he is with the people of Israel and what they've done. And his grief and confession had a great impact. He's a scribe, a scholar. And so they take uh, notice of his reaction to their sins. And there's going to be a bit of a revival, we might say here. And so they, he tries to turn that around and again helps with the community. I'm going to go through a few of these about the wives a little faster. All right, so then let's talk about Nehemiah for just a few moments then that we have left here. There's a few pictures in Nehemiah that go along with the palace that was built there. Again, we know from Nehemiah that he falls into the books of history, but that's not necessarily where he falls in the uh, idea of history. I tried to skip over some of the maps uh, that we looked at just a moment ago. Uh, but Babylon was captured by Persia. Cyrus allows the Jews to return to their homeland. And, of course, then uh, the people make that long trek 
and Nehemiah is a part of this third return. It says there at the bottom, army escorts supplied by Artaxerxes helped Nehemiah. And Nehemiah rebuilt and fortified the walls around Jerusalem. So after the return of the people, this is one that we've looked at already here. Give me just a moment. About Esther. Esther became queen of the Persian Empire and she lived in Shushan. The palace in Shushan there, it's kind of white if you can see it under the words Persian Empire. Uh, and at this time, of course, Persia was the known power. Uh, they covered more than half of the known world. And the ruins of Shushan, the palace, remain in this ancient place and are evidence for Bible history. And there's even an inscription that talks about Darius and Artaxerxes, these names that we've mentioned. So it's not made up. It's not just fake. And it's been excavated. I was trying to get to the pictures there. Somebody had taken some artifacts from the Shushan Palace. Uh, you can find these on, on the internet. I'm sure uh, they're different places, but these are pictures of some parts of the wall or different paintings that are there uh, to help us know that this, this is real. This was not, I mean, people will claim some things. Remember we talked about Jonah not too long ago, and they'll say Jonah is just a fake story about a big fish. Now, we uncover these things, and we find parts that deal with these people and the people around them. Not just Christians, but when the Bible mentions Artaxerxes and Shushan, you find things that were there. And they can be excavated, and they really help. And even there looks like some type of weapon, maybe of some sort, or something along those lines. So the foundation of the palace, as Nehemiah, or when we talk about Shushan here, uh, was a platform 50 feet high and covered in area of two and a half acres and underneath was a vast sewer system many miles in length and through which one may walk today thinking about the palace there at Shushan so the book of Nehemiah this the, the McDades who kind of compiled this material believe was most likely written by Nehemiah himself again some passages are in the first person of the book it's also possible that Ezra had a part in some of this and maybe uh, wrote some of this as well and we're not going to cover all of Nehemiah, but again, just a few chapters delay uh, to, to talk about his history. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. If you recall, a cupbearer's job was high and mighty, although we would think lowly because he just bears the cup. But not only did he bring the king his wine, but he was in charge of tasting it and making sure there was no poison in it. And so Nehemiah had a place in Artaxerxes' court, uh, and so... Uh, he says here, Esther, Queen Esther may have still been alive and possibly used her influence to secure the appointment of Nehemiah. Something to think about. The book of Nehemiah begins with him hearing about the affliction of the Jews. Jerusalem was broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. In Nehemiah chapter 1, a messenger arrives and says, things are not good. And the first thing we read about Nehemiah in verse number 4 was that he wept. He cried. And he prayed for just how awful things had been. He fasted and he prayed. He had not been faithful to the commandments of God. And he confessed his sins and repented. And he wants to be allowed to be the one to go back. And so he's going to then talk to King Artaxerxes and say, Can I be the one to go back and help the people? We talked about prayer recently. It says he spent four months in prayer before we're making a request of the king. Have you ever spent months in prayer about something? Uh, there's a good chance. The king noticed how sad Nehemiah was and asked why. Was he ill? And Nehemiah replied, Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? 
says things aren't good so can I please be the one to go back and the king asked him how long he needed to be gone and they set a time for Nehemiah to return so when he reached the city then in chapter 2 he's going to be very sad that's where the let us rebuild verse that we talked about this morning let us rise up and build. That comes from, e, uh, from Nehemiah going around the city in chapter 2 and still being upset. Things are not good. Things are in shambles. We talked about the debris this morning. It's everywhere. The wall is not done. And so he is upset about it, but he got to work. And he's going to get the people to work as well. Ezra had already been there 13 years. He was a priest and worked closely with Nehemiah. Nehemiah assigned the people their work, and in 52 days, the they had rebuilt the wall because one of the themes of Nehemiah is also Nehemiah 4, 6, the people had a mind to work. I know when we covered Nehemiah, it was back in 2020, I think, when we covered the book of the month, Nehemiah, but we emphasized then, how much can we do? How much has this congregation done in the past when the people have a mind to work? You do the... the, the giveaway days and things and you do all those and you think well how is it it's a lot of work it's really hard vacation bible school it's really hard but when the people get together and have a mind to work then things are able to be accomplished and it is a wonderful wonderful thing and they're able to do this together and again just some depictions of what it might have looked like uh, as they're striving to work and they're getting it done in just 52 days nehemiah was not only a man of great faith but he was a great engineer and the remains of his work may be seen still in jerusalem today and of course in pictures of some what that might have looked like we talked to someone this week at free hardman professor that had just been over in that part of the world and we give uh, hannah a hard time about being nervous about flying you know not wanting to go over there worried about the condition and he said go he said if you get a chance go it's worth it to visit those parts of the world and see many of those same things so when nehemiah returned the old enemies of the jews the moabites the ammonites the ashdodites and the arabians we're in possession of the land, and they oppose Nehemiah and the work that he is doing. And so we meet Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, three men who are going to lead that opposition. And these kids are laughing up here because they're having to memorize all this right now. Um, but they're the ones who are going to oppose Nehemiah and the work that he's doing. They mock them. They criticize them. They get them to stop. Even so much so that Nehemiah and the people, as it says across the bottom there, it says they work with one hand, and they've got a sword in the other hand ready to defend themselves as they're trying to rebuild the wall. It was quite the effort, uh, but it was something that they were willing to do, and they defend the wall against so many that were coming in opposition to them. When the wall was completed, except for the gate, Nehemiah's enemies asked to meet with him, and they had this conversation about what, what had happened and what was going on. I'm sorry for the sake of time, we'll have to go through some of this, uh, but I plan to make it a part of some of the lessons. After the fifth time, um, they, they, he's able to meet with them and they're able to have this discussion and they warn about what they're going to do but Nehemiah wrote back there are no such thing done as thou sayest but thou feignest them out of thine own heart Nehemiah was not going to be deterred he was going to continue to stand up even when he was frightened even when the people spoke against him he was not a man to be back down because of the work of Nehemiah Jerusalem was again fortified after 142 years after it had been destroyed by the, by the Babylonians. God makes promises, those things come true. It may take some time, and there's some time built in there, but it comes about. It doesn't come about because God is, is a magician or works miracles and just says, poof, there's you a wall. 
I mean, God could do that, but his people have a mind to work. They work, and we're going to try to dig into that in the next few weeks here as we get into these stories. But Brian, I don't know what that's going to do next because it has some more of those uh, things built in if you want to go ahead. But uh, that is a little bit about uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, kind of an overview of what they're going through. Uh, and again, we appreciate the work of the McDades and able to use this material, and they've shared it with us. I can show you in the library where this stuff is, uh, and you can make use of it either in your Bible class or your own study as we're going through some of these things. Uh, but as that concludes, and we're uh, here towards the end of our service, uh, we will extend heaven's invitation. I know, as we sometimes say, this might not lend itself towards the idea of the invitation, but as we're gathered together, and you've been around God's people today, and there is opportunity for us to encourage ourselves Maybe something's come to your mind that you've been thinking about. Maybe you'd like to become a Christian, be added to the church. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but you've wandered away. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the lesson of the hour, but we don't want anyone to leave with something kind of worry on their mind or their heart, knowing that if the Lord were to return or if your life were to be required and, and were to come to an end, that you wouldn't be concerned. You wouldn't question about where your eternal place would be. You can have the home in heaven by being faithful to him, but it requires being obedient either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.